God is great. Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 7 in chapter 3. So when you find that, please stand with me to honor God and His Word. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. This is God's word. Praise him for his word. Please be seated. God's word is strong. It's powerful. It speaks to our hearts. Sometimes we understand it, sometimes we don't, sometimes we seem to agree, sometimes we don't, but we are under the Word of God, and uh, it is our authority. Now, we're in week five of a six-week series on what's important to us as a church, our values, and we exist as a church to worship God, build up believers, and reach others for Christ, and by the grace of God, we are becoming a worshiping body of biblically-equipped believers who reach and influence our world for Christ through relationships. Now, our six values that we've been looking at correspond to worshiping God, building up believers, and reaching others. They are God's Word, learning and teaching and obeying what God says, prayer, fostering intimacy and dependence upon God, and families, following Jesus as biblically-based households, and relationships, Loving each other with grace and truth. And service, serving unselfishly in God's strength. And then outreach, sharing Christ's love with humility and gentleness. Now since it's Father's Day, we're focusing on the value of families. And in the context of how Christians are to live in the world, 1 Peter, really it starts at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and goes on to chapter 3, verse 8. It speaks of Christians being good citizens and workers and wives and husbands and brothers and sisters in Christ, relating in society and the workplace and the family and the church. And so 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 gives instructions for living in families. But first of all, we need to address two questions. Why do we value families and what do we mean by family? Why do we value families? Because they're important to God. Because they were God's idea to begin with. In fact, go to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Very first chapter of the Bible. It's not hard to find. 
And in chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27 tells us that God created them, God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and God said, I've given every plant yielding seed to you and it will be food for you. And then down in verse 31, it says that God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. See, we value families because God does. It was his idea in the first place. But what do we mean by family? With all the attempts to define and redefine family nowadays, people are confused. But a biblically accurate definition is this, and it's in your your bulletins there. A family is a covenant of relationships and responsibilities within the guidelines of biblical principles. A covenant of relationships and responsibilities under God's word. Now, in the Bible, the, the terms household and family are both used. You study their meaning, and what comes out, what emerges, is the concept of extended family, of both blood and non-blood relations. And the word family today has been narrowed down in our culture. And now people are redefining it to go outside the bounds of biblical guidelines. And that's not new. It's just at the forefront. It was on the front page of the newspapers this morning. So family and household are used. And biblically, family and household give a context that's inclusive of ages. It's inclusive of life stages. It communicates that God's concern is not just for one kind of family, i.e. nuclear family. It's not just dad, mom, and some kids. Biblically speaking... It includes all ages and all life stages, including singles and seniors and others within a household. So family isn't just mom, dad, and kids, but all kinds of families within the guidelines of biblical principles. Married, single, with or without kids, empty nest, single parents, grandparents, and so on. And what I want you to see today is that family is a gift from God as well as a calling from God. It's a gift and a calling. First of all, family is a gift from God, and it's in terms of relationships. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, you read these words, in the same way, wives. In the same way, wives. Wives are addressed in relation to their husbands. Verse 7 says, you husbands, in the same way, Husbands are being addressed in relation to their wives. There's a relationship. Now God has set up the structure. And being created in the image of God, we were made for relationships. We were made to to relate. And these relationships that God gives are gifts. In fact, go back to Genesis, if you will, with me. But go to chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. 
Now, God had already put the man in the garden to cultivate the garden, to keep the garden, and do his thing there. And, and God said, uh, you know, eat anything you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 18, then God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. God had said all throughout the days of creation, good, 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 good. And then he comes to when he creates man, mankind, male and female, and he says, very good. He pronounces it over all of his creation. But then he says in verse 18, something is not good. What's not good? He said, it's good that the man, it's not good that the man is alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Uh, literally corresponding to him. And the thing is, God knew what he was going to do, but he, he brought all the animals by uh, Adam, and it says that there was not found a helper suitable for him. Why? Because woman had not yet come on the scene. Now, we read in verse 21 that God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him, and he sleeps, and he takes one of his ribs, and he closes it, that up, and and does some surgery on Adam, and he fashions the woman, God's beautiful creation, and he brings her to the man. Now, how is all this a gift? Well, you look at verse 18, and it says, God says, I will make him. I will make him a helper. You look at verse 22, and it says that God brought her to the man, his gift to her. And see, from then on, From that point on, after Adam said, wow, from then on, you were always identified in the context of family. You are always identified that way. It's within the structure of family that people are identified. If you you think about it, biblically speaking, you you hear a person and they say, this is so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, or the son of, or the daughter of. Now, some people don't want to be identified with their family, you know. They drive them crazy. And, and other people get stifled by their family, and, and others just can't get enough of their family. But no matter what, either way, you are identified. You're either married or you're single. You're either a husband or a wife. You're a son or a daughter. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're a cousin. You're an aunt. You're an uncle. You're a grandparent, and so on. And you don't have to be in a family very long to realize that things go wrong. Things go wrong and relationships work best when they are uh, falling under the guidelines of biblical principles. So it only makes sense to say, well, I want to know what those biblical principles are on which the family is based. I want to know the truths upon which the family is based, biblically speaking. Ones that biblically based households go by. What are those things? Well, the first is honoring God, honoring God first, not, not making the family an end in and of itself, that Jesus must come to have first place in everything, including home life, most importantly, home life, Colossians 1.18, that he might come to have first place in everything. So honoring God first is the first thing, and then reflecting the nature and character of Jesus in our relationships, not just at church when we're on our best behavior, but back home. On that on the ranch, uh, in everyday relationships, in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the schoolroom, on the field, seeking to be Christ-like in all you do. And then demonstrating faithfulness and fidelity in marriage. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, marriage is to be held in honor. 
by all. See, God created marriage to be exclusively between a man and a woman. And it says that marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. There's a a movement afoot to change the definition of marriage from a husband and a wife to a husband and a husband and and a wife and a wife. It doesn't work. It doesn't work just the way God made us. But God created marriage to be exclusively between a man and a woman and we are to demonstrate faithfulness within that union, within that bond. What else? Practicing chastity and purity in singleness. See, God calls some to singleness for a season and some for a lifetime. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me. You may not have known this, but God calls marriage and singleness gifts in the Bible. In the context of marriage, when Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says in verse 7, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Single. But he said, however, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner, single, and another in that, married. It's a gift from God. What else? Nurturing the children God gives us. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from God. Parents, I know it, they don't, it doesn't always feel like that. And kids, I know it doesn't feel that way the other direction as well. Uh, but nurturing the kids God gives us that he blesses us with. The children are a gift from God and they're a welcome addition to a family. They don't become the central focus. They are a welcome addition. They're welcome to be around. And we are to nurture them. See, parents are to be the primary uh, teachers and uh, most influential teachers in their, in their kids' lives. That is over and over in Scripture, whether it's Proverbs or Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament and into the New. But the church's role in that context, is a partnering one, supporting the home and the teaching that goes on in the home. Now, sometimes the teaching doesn't go on in the home. And sometimes there are people who, who uh, come to a church, kids will come to a church, and their parents aren't there with them, and maybe they're not believers. Their parents aren't believers. And in that setting, the church often, thankfully, steps in and takes that role and provides what is lacking when there's no Christ-centered influence. But your first ministry as a parent is to your family. You're not to neglect them as you go and minister to other people because it will hinder that ministry if you neglect home base. What else? Uh, showing lifelong honor and care for family members. You're familiar with Ephesians 6.1. Children, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the first commandment with a promise. It relates to the, first, uh, the fifth command. Honor your father and your mother. That's not just for kids. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's applied to kids. But when God gave the Ten Commandments, that was speaking to adults and everyone else. So uh, honor your father and your mother is not just for kids. It's for grown adults to rise up and to honor their parents. And, and so many times, and for many of you, that means you're caring for your aging parents. 
And that means that sometimes if you didn't have a great relationship, you find something that they did right and you honor them for that. But showing lifelong honor and care for family members. Last thing is maintaining a vital connection to a community of faith. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses uh, 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembly. Uh, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Jesus returning, coming near. See, Christian community is inclusive of age groups. It is, it is relational. It is not isolated. It is, it is integrated. And also, members in the, in the body of Christ need to come alongside families and to teach and to mentor those who are younger in the faith. As according to Titus chapter 2. Now, all these things are the goal, but they are not the reality for many families due to um, relational issues, due to uh, relational injuries that, that come about when people get near to one another. You know, life would be great if people weren't in the mix, right? But you put a family together, and oh boy, sometimes it gets a little bit dicey. What was the car like on the way to church today? That was only my car. Okay. Um, remember this about family issues. They're always instigated by something self-oriented in someone. And they're always healed by being God-centered. By grace, by forgiveness, by mercy, by love. See, whatever your family status, it is a gift from God to you. Whatever that is. So receive it as a gift, not a burden. Family is a gift from God in terms of relationships. And like it or not, that's how you're identified. Now the second thing is that family is a calling. It's a calling from God in terms of responsibilities. So it's a gift from God in terms of relationships. It's a calling in terms of responsibilities. You fulfill the calling of God and you receive God's blessing um, in relationships as you fulfill the responsibilities that go along with those, that correspond with those. Now, because the husband-wife relationship is the one out of which all the others are to flow, 1 Peter chapter 3 highlights these when giving instructions on, on how we are to operate within the family. So it's focused on, on husbands and wives. But there's something that all of us can gain uh, in terms of the truth that is presented. So starting with verse one, going to verse 6, uh, to wives, he, he speaks of submitting. Submitting. Now, uh, the context starts in chapter 2, verse 13, that says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And it gives examples like government and the workplace and now in the home. Verse 18 says, servants, be submissive to your masters. And verse Three, uh, verse 1 in chapter 3 says, in the same way you wives, it's the context of submitting, but not in the same way that you would submit to a master, but it says, but in the same way of the idea of submitting, wives be subject, be submissive to your own husbands. Now life in the first century was really difficult for women. They were disrespected. They were treated like servants. Some of you feel like that today. Uh, but in those days, it was ingrained into the culture. While living at home, a, a young girl was under the Roman law 
patria potestas, the father's power. The father had the power of life and death over his children. And husbands had a similar legal power over their wives. Now, God never condones those kind of distinctions. In fact, go to Galatians chapter 3 with me. Galatians chapter 3. Because in Christ, everything changes. In Christ, we are told in Galatians 3 verse 28... It speaks of being clothed with Christ, identified with Christ. And then it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Walking by faith, living by faith. But this thing about submission is tough, isn't it? it we we want to go away from that. We don't, want to, we don't want to deal with it. And many of you are thinking, what are you going to say? Will I agree with it or not? Well, you know, I've got to tell you, it really doesn't matter if you agree with it or not because I'm, 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 I'm not going to give my opinion here. I'm just going to see what the Word says. And, and it says this. It says that wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, God doesn't make those distinctions that were in the first century that were uh, oftentimes abusive. And God doesn't condone what happens in our time which is abusive in regards to this. But women and men, as we see here, are spiritually equal in Christ. But God has given roles and responsibilities within marriage. Roles and responsibilities within marriage. So wives are to submit to their husband's leadership. You might say, well, my husband's not leading. Well, maybe you can help him. <laughs> You're to submit to your husband's leadership. Now, many do not like that due to its misuse, but also sometimes due to pride. God said, a wife would desire to rule over her husband as a result of sin, as a result of the fall. And that happens a lot. But it's helpful to recognize that submission to biblically ordained authority is not inconsistent with equality in importance and dignity and honor. Those things don't go out the window just because you submit. You see, think about Jesus. Jesus, while he was here on earth, submitted himself to his parents to his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. Now, as God, he was superior to them. But he, it says that he continued in subjection to, him, to them. How about while he was here on earth, coming to fulfill the mission for which he came, to die for the sins of the world, to secure uh, salvation for all those who would believe, he submitted himself to the Father, with which he was equal. See, these instructions to wives never implies inferiority spiritually or in importance. Peter says just the opposite. Look at verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says um, that you are, to, a husband is to show his wife honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God, of the grace of life, excuse me. Joint heirs of, of grace. Believing husbands and wives are joint heirs. They are spiritual equals. Now, what if you have an unbelieving spouse? Specifically, what if you have an unbelieving husband? What do you do? Well, it says here in verse 1 that if you're submissive to your own husband, that even if any of them, it's implying that most of them will be obedient to the word, that would be believers, but it says if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they, as they see your way of life. So, if you have an unbelieving husband, this tells you that 
that he may be won over simply by observing your way of life, your conduct. And that he may well conclude that the gospel that you believe is also true. But uh, wives are to, to display, as verse 2 says, chaste and respectful behavior. Respectful behavior, pure, free from moral defilement. Uh, and that's to be observed. It's to be obvious. It's not to have to be even pointed out because it, it's just going to be obvious. Now, he also speaks in verses 3 and 4, and I know you've been waiting for me to get to this, about beauty, about uh, adornment, about uh, things that you put on. Now, it says... Uh, It says here that your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. Now this is not a a prohibition on wearing nice clothes. Uh, It's a warning against being preoccupied with your outward appearance. In the Greco-Roman culture, women were very preoccupied with with superficial adornment, with uh, ways of doing their hair, of uh, cosmetics and all sorts of hair dyes and, and doing their hair and wearing expensive jewelry and the like. Today, there's a huge pressure put upon women to look a certain way and to then become consumed with your looks. You don't want to go outside because you think you don't look right. See, God wants you preoccupied with Him and the condition of your heart. But you're like, well, hey, but they're still going to judge me by how I look. You got, we got to leave that up to God. Um, see, what it says here is that, that um, we're to, uh, you to adorn yourself um, with a gentle and quiet spirit. That that will come out. And it's precious in God's sight. And based on verse 5, this tells me that this is not just a cultural thing in those days. Look what it says in verse 5. In this way, in former times, it's referring to a time before the time that they were living in. It was not referring to the first century, but way back when Abraham and Sarah were living. Pointing back to another time, saying it applied then and it applies now. Ah, and it applies today as well for us. It's not just a cultural thing. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a, a truth that, 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 that goes through any age. Don't let your adornment be merely external. And again, this applies to all, all ages and it applies to men and women, but it's specifically spoken to the women and there is more pressure on women in this regard. Now, next, Peter addresses husbands. You go, well, hey, they only got one verse. And the wives got like six verses. What's all that about? You could look at it in two different ways. Well, they're picking on the ladies or, wow, the guys got shortchanged. You know, but whatever the case, only one, only one verse. But I'll tell you what, guys, if we can live this one verse, the world will be a whole lot better. Uh, it says in the same way, just like in verse 1, just as the wife submits to the husband, the husband must do good to his wife. Do good to your wife. You have a responsibility before God to submit to God in serving your wife. It says here to dwell with. That's a rich, rich word. It means to live with. It means to, to be at home with. Don't just hide out in the garage. Don't just hide out of the computer screen. Engage relationally, want to be with her more than anyone in the world. It says, uh, live with her in an understanding way. Understanding way. Knowing 
How, how, if you're going to live with your wife in an understanding way, men, how would you do that? By knowing God's purpose and his principles on marriage. Know what the word says. And then know your wife's desires. Know your wife's goals. Know where your wife's heart is at. Know her frustrations. Know her strengths. Know her weaknesses. Know her gifts. See, knowledge, it has to do with knowledge. And you want to have knowledge that's beneficial to your relationship. With your wife. You know the word, know your wife. Know both of those. It's a mystery. You say, well, I can learn the word, but my wife, I just can't figure her out. It's all right. She can't figure you out either. Um, Consider her needs. Sacrificially lay yourself down. Um, Provide for her. Protect her. It says grant her honor. It points to kindness and affirmation, not just in words, but in actions. It says that you're heirs of God's grace. You're heirs of the grace of life. See, fellowship in the faith gives another reason to show respect. Because, like I mentioned before, believing husbands and wives are spiritual equals before God. You're not instructed, though, men, to submit to your wife as a leader. But as a believing husband, you must submit to the the loving duty of being sensitive to her needs and to her feelings. Subordinate your needs to hers. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Ephesians 5 talks all about it. And it says that you should do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. So you can pray. See, God will interrupt your relationship with him if you don't do this. Now, I want to say something to singles who often get ignored in in discussions on the family, and they shouldn't be. But whether it's a stage in life or your station in life, you are responsible for something as well in terms of the context of family. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 speaks of it. And it says this. It says to promote... 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35 is the passage, but it talks about promoting what is appropriate and securing undivided, uh, undistracted devotion to the Lord. If you want to be married and you're not, you know, don't ask, when will I meet the right person? Ask this, ask, am I the right person? You know, ask, how can I serve God right now with undistracted devotion? See, when you're single, you have the greatest capacity for, for service or selfishness. Now, I want to say a word to leaders, because leaders have a responsibility as it pertains to the home. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 4, it says that a leader in the church ought to be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, it's not saying if you're a leader that you have to have a perfect family. It's just got to be appropriate management of your home. They shouldn't be out running wild. What about this? Uh, All people have a responsibility in regards to family. 
no matter what station of life you're in, no matter what stage of life you're in, and you find it in James chapter 1, verse 27, where it says that pure religion is this, in the sight of God, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. And the key phrase there is the idea of visiting orphans and widows in their distress. It's the idea of them having no family to take care of them. An orphan, parentless, a widow, spouseless. <laughs> you know, in First Timothy, it talks about uh, honor, help the widows who are widows indeed. That was a widow who did not have people that could support her. Then the church was to step in. But if they had family that could support them, they need to fulfill the responsibility to their family. And it says that if they don't, they're denying the faith and they're worse than an unbeliever. So, we have a responsibility, all of us, to widows and orphans. They have no family to care for them. We're to be family to them. Now, you may be disillusioned by your, by your family status right now. Or, or your station in life in relation to family. Um, you might not like the spouse you have. I can't do anything about that at this point, okay? You might not like the spouse you don't have. You're like, I, I need a spouse. I've got to have one or else. Um, you might be frustrated with your, your parents, kids. Why do they always, you know? You might be really frustrated with your kids. You know, you want to go to the moon or whatever? It's like, uh, and, and you think this, you think, you think this. If only they would change, I'd be happy. If only they would change, I'd be fulfilled. No, you wouldn't. You would just demand more. See, you have it all wrong. It's not about you and your happiness. It's about God and His purposes. It's about God and His honor. It's about God and His design. Now, the people God has put in your life, especially in your family, and especially the most difficult ones, are God's gift to you. And some of us are really glad that he gave them to you. Um, and, and they are God's best tool to make you more Christ-like. They are God's best tool to make you who he is making you to be. There's something else about family I want to share with you as we close. Family, it's a gift, it's a calling, but it, there's something else. It points to something greater. Now, it's easy to focus on the problems. It's easy to focus on the issues. Or it's, or it's easy to focus on, I really have to be a good husband, I really have to be a good wife, or a good son, or a good daughter, as if that's the end, the end result that you're looking for. But Christian families are not ends in and of themselves. That's not the goal. The goal is not just to be a good husband or to be a good wife or to be a good child. See, Christian families are part of a bigger picture. See, every Christian family, every Christian household is a part of the household of God, the family of God. And families and households, you think about it in terms of the, with the church, we often approach the church as consumers, to get something, because we've been taught to view the church that way. The church says, here we are, we want to meet all your needs. 
And then churches often view families as giving units or numbers to fill seats. But that's not how it's supposed to be. We are to be organic, not institutionalized. See, there's a mission bigger than the family at stake. People need Jesus. Look at verse 18 here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18. It says this, For Christ also died for sins. On account of sins, he was dying to pay the penalty for our sin. Once for all, he did it, the work is finished, and you believe in him and you will be saved. It says, Christ also died for sins once for all, the just, Jesus, the righteous one, for the unjust, us, the sinful one, so that he might bring us to God. See, the church is a living, breathing organism sent by God to reach a needy, hurting, dying world that's desperate for the love that Jesus offers. And so we gather multi-generationally and we scatter multi-generationally and along the way we build one another up and care for one another and each Christian home then is a mission base where you live geographically your household is not merely a haven that you go to to escape it is a mission base that you go from and to be truly healthy each household each Christian household needs a mission Bigger than their family. Bigger than itself. And so you can't go home and close your doors and and lock all your windows because the world is at your doorstep. The world lives next door to you. They're driving by your house. And then every Christian home, being a mission base, then every Christian household becomes a mission team. To team up together. In the world, but not of it. Not being swallowed up by the world, but also not isolating from it. It, What it's called is redemptive interaction with the culture. Relationally on mission to a hurting world that is hungry for something real, something authentic. Sharing the love of Jesus. You see, family is a gift from God and it's a calling from God. And nowhere is embracing that gift and that calling more more needed than in the lives of Christian men. It's Father's Day today in America. And men, there was once a man who had two sons. This man had two sons and, and they were called by God to a very noble task. And they were called to serve God and they were called to, to serve others. But what happened is they took the low road. They abused their privilege. They they, um, they surrendered to their sin nature. They didn't know the Lord. And the man did nothing about it. And in so doing, he honored his sons above God and paid some pretty stiff consequences. The man was Eli. You find him in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 and a little bit onward, but he squandered that gift that he had been given. He, he ignored the calling of God and he uh, didn't embrace the, the mission, the vision that God had given him. Don't squander the gift. The gift is right there, right next to you. Don't uh, ignore that calling that comes with the relationship that is connected to responsibilities. 
And then there's a vision to embrace, and it's to be servant leaders. Servant leaders. That's not an oxymoron. It's the idea of trusting God and being willing to do um, what he did. Lay down your life for others. See, Jesus said in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And then he said, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Stay close to Jesus. If you do that, watch out, world. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come to you today uh, needy and dependent and hungry for what is real and hungry for you, Lord. And we thank you. We just want to acknowledge the, the gift that you've given to us in our families. Whatever our station of life, whatever our stage. And we also acknowledge that there's this huge responsibility that we cannot fulfill because we are unable on our own. But Lord, we trust you. Uh, we just ask you to give us grace to obey you. To work through us, work in us for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.